Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This is Bill Press and Friends on the District Productive Network. And believe it or not, here is the latest lie. Now, you know, we're used to big lies from Donald Trump. Uh, like the crowd at his inauguration, like saying the photos showing a smaller crowd than for Barack Obama in 2009 had been doctored, like his bragging, which he does all the time, about the political movement he has inspired. It's the biggest political movement in the history of humankind. Martin Luther King Jr., nothing compared to this, right? Gandhi, nothing compared to this. This is... This is this is Tea Party, nothing compared to this, says Donald Trump. Like Donald Trump insisting that he really won the popular vote because you have to subtract five million from Hillary's total because those were five million people here illegally who voted for her. Therefore, when you look at the real popular vote, Donald Trump says he was it. That is crazy. That is BS. Uh, but it's just another big lie. And and like I don't know, you can go on and on. Another one pops into mind, like the Muslims dancing in the streets of New Jersey on September 11, which, of course, never, never happened. But he keeps saying it. Yesterday, and you know, his his ongoing war, he calls it this ongoing war with the media that he has. Yesterday, he takes it to a new level, speaking down in Tampa, Florida. He says that there are, do you realize this? There are all kinds, all kinds of terrorist attacks going on every day around the world that you never know about. And the reason you don't know about it is because the media doesn't want you to know about it because the media doesn't want to report on these terrorist attacks because the media has its own agenda and we don't want you to know how, uh, at, how at risk all Americans are how our safety is threatened by all these refugees flocking into this country and committing these terrorist attacks. That's why we don't report on them. Here he is, and this is particularly troubling to me, in his first appearance as commander-in-chief in front of American troops, Tampa, Florida. Radical Islamic terrorists are determined to strike our homeland as they did on 9-11, as they did from Boston to Orlando to San Bernardino and all across Europe. You've seen what <laughs> happened in Paris and Nice. All over Europe, it's happening. It's gotten to a point where it's not even being reported. And in many cases, the very, very dishonest press doesn't want to report it. It's not even being reported. Now, notice the contradiction, right, first of all. You you saw what happened. Yeah, I mean, in yeah. These, I was gonna you, say. You saw what happened in Paris. You saw what happened. Where? How did you see it? They weren't freaking there, right. right? They saw it on television. They read about it in the papers. So first he says you didn't see it. 
And then he says, I mean, you, you saw it in the news. And then he says the media, the very, very dishonest media, doesn't want to, doesn't want to report it. I mean, that is just so wrong on so many counts. And it's just flat ass not true. Now, first of all, he didn't notice. He didn't mention anyone that had not been reported. So just um, a few minutes later, well, maybe, I don't know, maybe an hour later, but on the flight Air Force One back to Washington, D.C., Sean Spicer in his little gaggle with reporters was saying, okay, now which are the ones that were not reported on? Now Sean takes it back a notch to they were not, it wasn't, wasn't that they were not reported on, they were, according to the White House, under-reported on. There's a lot of instances that have occurred uh, where I don't think that they've gotten the coverage it, it, it deserved. Oh, it didn't get the coverage it deserved. Again, Donald Trump doesn't mention anyone that was not reported on. Sean Spicer doesn't mention anyone that was under-reported on. Late last night, uh, after I left the White House, actually, the White House put out its list of the under-reported terrorist attacks. You may be surprised to know that the Paris attacks at the Bataclan nightclub were underreported by the media. Never heard of it. The, yeah. the Paris attacks? Did, was Paris attacked? Uh, that's kind of funny, isn't it? I mean, I remember talking about it for like a week. You know, and if you went, the, the truth about all of these, if you went back, we all know this is true. It's such an outright, it's just on the face of it, such a total, total lie. If you go back and look at the videotapes, you name it, any of the net cable networks, any of the network news about the Paris attack, it was wall-to-wall coverage. The anchors, remember, even went to Paris to talk about it. That's on his list. He underreported. He also says that the the guy who got the truck and rammed it into the crowd in Nice along the waterfront there in Nice, killing, I don't know, I think 12 people or something like that, does that was underreported. We know every detail of that, how the guy got the truck, how he got in the truck. I remember seeing that route over and over and over again, the video of, of his doing it and the maps and the streets and everything in Nice. He says, get this, that the San Bernardino shooting. Get out of here. We're under reported or not reported. Again, we watched, I watched that live on television when they had the the man and his wife in the, in the car. Of course it's reported. I mean, this is like the OJ chase, right? <laughs> the car chase. I mean, it was on national television every single channel. It is just not true. And you, you ask yourself, how can he say this crap and get away with it? I should not be able to get away with it. The president of the United States, and you know what? The, uh, we've talked about this a little before. Maybe it's a challenge as to what you call this. No, you call it a lie. You call it making you-know-what up, and that's all he does. That's all he does. It is just not true. And I think what he's doing is he is setting it up that if anything bad happens in this country, he'll be able to blame it on the media and on the courts. Yeah, that's what he's really trying to do. Yeah, but this constant war on the media, and and I gotta tell you, and we're supposed to just say, oh, God, you're right. Yeah, I guess we should have really covered the Paris 
a terrorist attack, but we didn't want to because we didn't want people to know, you know, what a bad job, whatever. I mean, it's just nonsense. So, like, I hate to break this down to such a base level, right? But, like, just go on Facebook, right? And you look at all the people who sport the profile pictures with the French flag on top of their profile photo, which yeah. is everywhere. Yeah. I mean, even now, yeah. even still, yeah. right? Like, yeah. just about everybody I knew had changed their profile picture to the French flag. So, like, it was very top of mind when the France attacks happened. Yeah. But you're right. He has a habit of projecting his own crappy intentions onto what he says actually happened, right? Like, with the voter uh, fraud stuff, right? Like, we know that there, that the only voter disenfranchisement that came out of the election came from Trump voters. Right. People, you know, were trying to so, vote for Trump multiple times. So it, this idea that the media isn't covering something, he's building a CYA uh, plan. Cover yeah. your ass. But, but fundamentally, the problem I have with it is, is if you cannot trust the president of the United States. You may disagree with his policies, but if you can't believe a word he says, then we're in trouble as a nation. And I think that Donald Trump's got it totally ass backwards. The problem that I have find too often is that the media will jump too quickly to say something is a terrorist attack, when in many cases it's no, nothing more than some, I'm not belittling it, but it's it's some nutcase who happens to get a gun and walks into a theater, or walks into. Uh, look at look at Dylan Roof in South Carolina, mass murder, horrific attack. He was not inspired. It was not a terrorist attack. But in the beginning, I remember people were some people were saying, "We are not sure it is. It could be." Boom, 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 boom. So I know the media does not. I mean, Donald Trump is just absolutely dead ass. Wrong. By the way, I yeah. think that was a terrorist attack. It absolutely well, it was, was a terrorist a, attack. It was a domestic right. terrorist yeah, attack. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, so, like, he should yeah. talk about that. No, he doesn't talk about that, right. of course. When he, For him, terrorism, what he's talking about, of course, is... Brown people. Yeah. Not white people. Uh, and people who are inspired by ISIS or al-Qaeda. And, by the way, in line with that again, not to get into the whole issue again, is Kellyanne Conway with her comments about Bowling Green Massacre, which she says is, a again, she, she listed it as a terrorist attack, which the media never covered. <laughs> and there was a very good reason the media never covered it, because it never took place. And she said she just had a, just to finish that thought, she said she just made a little slip, a little error, one little mistake when she was talking to Chris Matthews. No, it turns out she had talked about the Bowling Green massacre <clears throat> twice before to reporters, but she wasn't called for it. She got away with it. This okay, third I'm, time she got away with it. I'm looking on the, uh, I've got the list here of all the underreported terror attacks that the Trump administration put out. I um, I don't see the Bowling Green attack on the list that they oh, put no, out. Really? I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah, I hate to say it. The yeah. San Bernardino attack is on there, which they misspelled. Uh, the Nice truck killing, as you mentioned, is on there. I don't see the Bowling Green attack. Yeah. But Paris, I'm sure it's just an oversight. Pa- Paris was. San Bernardino was. Nice was. They're crazy. They're absolutely nuts. Well, 
uh, it's tough being a member of the media these days, isn't it, Grand Vibes? Because uh, we're just reviled on every side, right? Yeah, but you know we can't complain too much about it. It's a, you know, <laughs> it's we just got, got to do our jobs, right? Oh man, you have been right. So big vote on Betsy DeVos today. today yeah. That's right. How's it going to go? And and what a, how you know what are the arguments? Well, as you said uh, earlier, I mean the uh, the Senate Democrats have been up all night and uh, having a twenty four hour talkathon. Not re- not a filibuster, but a sort of, uh, you know, just holding the floor for 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 a day, um, trying to get a final Republican uh, vote to uh, to defeat her nomination. Um, they already have Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski, as you said. Now, it's very unlikely that there's going to be, uh, you know, a, a third a Republican. Are there any holdouts? See, the thing is, the 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 the, the, the reporting is that the two of them were sort of the fence sitters you know mm-hmm. to, at, at the at the outset they were the, they were the likely um, the likely defectors uh, and so um, I based on some reporting I've been doing you know and and also just based on uh, you know sort of common sense political strategy I think part of the plan is just to to make a lot of noise about uh, about uh, this this nominee uh, in it because she's been so unpopular because she's generated such grassroots uh, opposition um, you know she had this Disastrous confirmation hearing where she, uh, Al Franken, uh, you know, asked her about the uh, common debate in education policy circles about the difference between proficiency and growth in measuring student performance. She was completely unfamiliar with uh, totally. with, with that uh, debate. She didn't seem to know. Uh, Maggie has an exactly. Asked That's yeah. where I was going to go next. You know, d- d- uh, federal disability uh, law, um, and so. As uh, you know, as uh, Chris Murphy was saying to uh, to me yesterday, uh, education is very personal for people. Uh, Senator from Connecticut, you know, um, it's a it's a it's a part of government. It's a government you know uh, service that. Uh, Americans have a very uh, clear sense of how it affects them in their day-to-day lives and how uh, it affects their, obviously, their kids. Uh, I was talking to um, the heads of some of the big teachers' unions yesterday, and they were saying, you know, everyone uh, has a kid who they love in their life, you know, who's in who's in public school. And so the fact that uh, DeVos d- didn't uh, have this familiarity with, with uh, education policy, coupled with what you all also referenced uh, a few minutes ago, which is that basically her entire record as a conservative uh, yeah. GOP donor is, you know, dismantling public education, uh, you know, supporting school vouchers, which uh, uh, private school vouchers, which divert uh, money away from the public school system and supporting not just, you know, charter schools, which uh, are these um, sort of uh, publicly funded but independently run uh, schools, which have a bipartisan support. You know, the Democratic Party under Barack Obama was supportive of charter schools, but yeah. she has supported the worst kind of sort of unregulated. <clears throat> unaccountable uh, charter schools, which have been a failure in, in her home state. And so for all of these reasons, I think, have, have really kind of authentically generated uh, this this outrage among parents and and, and, uh, and students. And there's one other teachers. issue that has come up, which uh, Chris Murphy, again, mm-hmm. uh, senator from Connecticut, uh, senator from Newtown, right. uh, raised uh, yesterday uh, w- with, uh, with reporters. Uh, this is uh, Senator Chris Murphy. Parents and teachers in this country are freaked out that we would have a secretary of education that would promote arming our schools. 
And she was asked, why do you need guns in schools? And, of course, her famous response. She said, uh, you know, in certain uh, states in particular, they might need to uh, ward off potential grizzlies. Yeah. And po- Potential grizzlies. Yeah. Yes. Yes. You know, make, makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Randy Weingarten from the American Federation of Teachers pointed out that, you know, it was particularly uh, you know, troubling that she thought a senator from Connecticut would be, you know, concerned about, about grizzly bears yeah. in, in the public schools in Connecticut. Yeah, so, right. and, and and actually, Murphy had a good line. He said, you know, I uh, he was speaking to this rally uh, against uh, DeVos uh, on Capitol Hill yesterday. And he said, you know, I was particularically uh, grateful that Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski um, came out against uh, Betsy DeVos because both Maine and Alaska have a, quite a few bears, you know. Yeah. You know so so he, despite that, you know, they... Uh, that they, was good. <laughs> if anybody should know about potential grizzlies, right. it'd be Lisa Murkowski, right. right? And yet she's undeterred in opposing DeVos. Is there any, uh, not to make too much fun of it, but is there any one instance of a grizzly attacking a public school? So the truth is I, I don't know the answer to that question. I think the answer, I think we know, <laughs> I think we know the answer to that question. Yeah. Yeah. I would imagine that there's probably a gun in the school to protect from potential grizzlies. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know, that's a thing. Not that I'm aware of. <laughs> also, just the phrase potential. I know. Grizzlies. I see potential classic, classic phrase. Right. I mean, and by the way, they, they, this is like the opposition has really seized on this like grizzly line of attack. People showed up at this at this opposition rally yesterday. There's a, a person dressed in a grizzly oh, bear costume, oh, oh, you know, and, and the, you know, all sorts of awful puns. Like it's important that the secretary of education have the bare basic facts oh, my God. about oh. public schools. Oh, my. God. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's right. the bare truth of the matter. <laughs> now, Jesus you like, mentioned uh, one senator who has really been very strong in his, in his opposition to Betsy DeVos, and that is Al Franken. Correct. Um, uh, is this uh, Al Franken? I mean, Al Franken, let's face it, he's been in the cocoon for the last eight years. Yes, he has. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of fascinating. I mean, the guy uh, <laughs> obviously was a, a Saturday Night Live uh, comedian. He was during star. St- star uh, uh, during the Bush era. He was arguably like one of the most prominent progressive sort of political satirists and commentators in the country. Um, he, for those of us who are liberals who like talk radio, he was a, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Air America. Uh, it was the flagship uh, show on Air America. And uh, and wrote famously books, uh, you know, castigating the right-wing media, lies and the lying liars who tell them a fair and balanced look at the right. Uh, and then when he uh, was running for the Senate, I think he made a strategic decision that, you know, I, I'm worried about uh, people thinking I'm I'm not serious, so I'm going to put my head down and I'm right. going to focus right. on policy. And, uh, and, and But now uh, I think there's a real case to be made that he should sort of draw on those previous comedic talents and and uh, and and be uh, you know a, a more vocal, a more outspoken, and and uh, you know critic of, of President Donald Trump, and uh, and I think you know in this moment where we have a, a reality TV show host uh, as the president, uh, you know, and and the the bar seems to be I don't want to say lower, but the, but there's more tolerance for this kind of uh, you know you know entertaining rhetoric in, in in our debate. I mean, you know, why shouldn't Al Franken you know be telling jokes and you know using those those skills that he's got.
Hey, everybody, this is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for The Bill Press Show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Ben Newkirk is here with us from the Atlantic on this Tuesday, February 7, um, and also all eyes on San Francisco, where actually at 6 o'clock East Coast time, by a telephone conference call, a three-judge panel from the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals will hear uh, the appeal of the Justice Department uh, to lift the ban that was placed, you know, to lift the hold that was placed on the Muslim ban by a judge out in Seattle. So, Van, uh, there's, a, there's a lot going on. I mean, are we still in the campaign mode? It seems like it. Well, I think so. Um, I think we'll be in campaign mode for the next four years. It's what Trump does. It's what he knows how to do. Um, it's the thing that's most similar to his own mode in his own life and as a I, I think the, the term authoritarian is loaded now with a political significant <clears throat> significance but uh, authoritarianism is also sort of a, a, a more personal uh, ideal and a belief that certain powers entities should be imbued with authority and as an authoritarian leading leaning person Trump will always have to campaign. He'll always have to argue about crowd size. He'll always have to say polls are fake news. Um, and we'll always have to keep being, you know, battling over his sort of executive rollout, the, uh, the blitz he's been trying to do. Yeah, and it does seem that just, again, we've just two weeks, but from what we've seen so far, all of these actions... You know, that he's, all, all these things that he's signed, they're not really actions that he's taken, but he's signed a lot of stuff, right? Um, he signs them, as we know, um, without having consulted the agencies, the heads of the agencies who are going to be required to carry them out or to make certain changes. He's signed them without, you notice he doesn't have like members of Congress around him, Paul Ryan or Mitch McConnell, whatever the Republican leadership, it's just a couple of his aides, right? As it, it, he almost approaches a presidency as a dictatorship, right? I mean, the, 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 like the separation of powers doesn't exist anymore. Well, I, I would say a dictatorship, but it appears that he doesn't always read what's in the executive oh, orders. Oh, well, that <laughs> so well, it, yeah. Well, it seems that's that's clear. Yeah, that's clear. It, it, it he's given quite a bit of authority to uh, his staff, to people like Steve Bannon. And seems to be content with them running the country, which, you know, we have Breitbart running the country now, which is fun. Yeah. But, <laughs> but reportedly, this executive order that he signed, which put uh, Breit, uh, Breitbart, Bannon, on the National Security Council, now at least it's been reported that Trump, because of the flap that occurred after that, that he suddenly realizes, oh, nobody told me what that was all about, right? They didn't. They didn't. 
I didn't realize that this was such a big deal. I didn't realize that that the national security people themselves would resent having this political hack in on their meetings. Well, you know, maybe he ought to read it. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're transitioning from maybe the most technocratic president we've ever had <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. to a guy who doesn't read executive orders mm. putting his... That he know. himself signs. <laughs> right. Putting his advisor on the National Security Council. Like, th yeah. this, it's a ridiculous turn of affairs right now. And I don't know, how, how do we... It's, it's not even been three full weeks yet. Dude. How do we deal with this Dude. for, for so months, much. for a year? You know, this was at 100 years. Like, I don't know what happens when they actually start the process of trying to work with Congress. Like, like what happens then? Right. But this, is, this has all been very um, exhausting to watch and very frustrating to watch because you just made a good point. The Republicans really haven't even gotten involved here yet. This is all really well, just yeah. born of Steve Bannon and some of the campaign prom and Reince Priebus and sort of making good on some campaign promises. But, like, during the inauguration, what was horrifying to me was Donald Trump looked pretty nervous. Paul Ryan, he had this giant grin on his face through the entire inauguration. And I just kept thinking to myself, he knows what's coming. He knows that they're just going to have to get the legislation in this doddering president's hands, and he'll just sign it. He'll just he, – it doesn't matter. And so, like, this is bad and confusing and sort of, I think, sort of meant to disrupt a little bit by on Bannon's part. But, like, when you get bad legislation coming down the line from Congress and Paul Ryan, it's going to get just a, not even a once-over. Signed, done, law. That's it. And that's what's coming. And we haven't even gotten to that yet. <laughs> yeah, we're still arguing about Obamacare. And that's... Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, clearly Paul Ryan's agenda is, uh, I think, this Muslim ban, he doesn't agree with that, but he's not going to come out and say so because he wants Donald Trump to sign legislation which will get rid of, privatized Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. That's That's been Paul Ryan's uh, long-term, long-term um, uh, uh, agenda. Um, okay, uh, before we get to Obamacare, though, um, this Muslim ban, which is up for a big test today. I mean, this this is again only two weeks into his presidency. The first real, cons the first cons a constitutional test crisis, really. The first constitutional crisis. Two yeah, weeks in of his administration. <laughs> two two weeks in. But I think a lot is riding on this as to how far Donald Trump is able to go unilaterally. Yeah, I think uh, there's two, two, two pieces to it. One is the obvious, uh, the, the court decision, right? How they decide and how they constrain his power, whether he still continues to instruct uh, DHS, other people to go against court orders, whether he, uh, even if they you know, issue a definitive uh, ruling against him, I don't know. It, it remains to be seen if they will comply with that ruling, uh, given his open attacks on judges before and open attacks on judges on Twitter. I don't know how that's going to work. But uh, in the process, I think the other thing is we're looking at how much this ties up the White House's hands, how much it ties up the legal resources, how much these different uh, court challenges, we, not just this one, we have dozens of other court challenges yeah, to yeah. Uh, lawsuits. You know, the most sued president in history throughout this time period, uh, we're looking at, you know, this might actually constrain the White House's ability to do things on its own, just being tied up. 
and just having to worry about conflicting precedents, conflicting uh, jurisdiction, having to sift through all these different legal issues, uh, how one ruling might affect the White House's ability to, to issue executive orders in the future. That's you know, I don't envy <laughs> the White House law- lawyers at all. Uh, I don't envy DOJ at all right now, especially given the fact that most of these places are understaffed right now. This is, a, this is going to be a tough time uh, for the executive branch in the next couple of weeks. Right. A good friend from Wisconsin's 2nd Congressional District, Congressman Mark Pocan. Hey, Congressman, good to see you. Good to see you guys. You made a little news last night. We got to start right there. You were the first yesterday. You were the first one a member of Congress on the floor of the House to use the I word. It <laughs> actually, actually, it was last week. Oh, um, last yeah, week? Okay. yeah. Right. But uh, you know, I, I we had a map of the Middle East and basically the seven countries, the travel ban, and then showed the other countries where Trump has business interests. Uh, which is exactly one of the reasons why I said I didn't go to the inauguration is because he's not separating his business interests. And as we talked about that and his tax returns and other things, we were talking about remedies. And clearly one of those remedies is the power of impeachment. And I think, uh, you know, all I'm saying is in our arsenal, we have a lot of ways to try to get the president to the right place where he has to go to follow the Constitution. And if he's not going to, then we've got some ways to try to enforce that. Is it too early to talk about impeachment? He's only been there two weeks. I think in the context of it's in our arsenal as he does different things that are unconstitutional, uh, whether it be the Muslim ban, uh, whether it be especially if he's going to defy a judge's order around uh, the Muslim ban, um, whether it be the fact that he's going to have conflicts of interest and looks like he might be acting on those conflicts of interest. I mean, those are all things that elevate it, that we, we have to figure out how we have some recourse on that. And certainly one of the tools that we have is that. So in that context, I think it's very important. We keep every option open to try to get this administration to function like any other administration in the past, Democrat or Republican. There uh, are attorneys who say, and I read uh, one piece by uh, an attorney from Georgetown Law School yesterday, David Cole, who says that right now, already, President Obama is in viol- President Trump is in clear violation of the law, the emoluments clause of the Constitution. Exactly. Well, and that's the part that I was kind of pointing out on the floor. And, and there's a great article by Bloomberg that had uh, the 20 countries uh, that he's involved in. But there's domestic and foreign um, yes. uh, you know, in, entanglements right. that he's going to have. So I think that the the wise thing is the public is already there. Forty percent of the people want impeachment. I think that, you know, let's. Is that right? Forty percent of the 40% people Forty percent. There was a poll already. last week. Yes. So um, wow. I think the important thing for for Democrats is be, while we're fighting uh, for President Trump to stop bad things from happening and trying to propose positive things that are happening, we have to keep every arsenal uh, that we have available. And that's how I'm trying to move forward. And if there were impeachment hearings, they would, ha- under present leadership, mm-hmm. right, it would have to be the Republican Party that called for those hearings, correct, or scheduled those hearings. Yeah, I mean, there's ways we can try to get them to go there, which is, again, why you start building the case. But I think what we need to keep doing is pointing out all of these things that hurt our country. And that's why you have impeachment, right, when our country is being hurt by someone who's in that 
that main position as president. And uh, if they're in violation of the Constitution, that's certainly one of those areas. All right, so let's explore. start with the things that he's done so far. Yeah. Would you say number one is the Muslim ban? Muslim ban, uh, absolutely, especially if they keep talking about defying some judge orders on this and so-called judges. Well, they and said this morning that they're going to barge forward no yeah. matter how the court uh, rules. That, you can't do that. It's another branch of government, a co-equal <laughs> branch of government, and uh, that's a huge conflict. I think uh, the fact that his business interests, whether it be as simple as the hotel here in Washington, D.C., where we have foreign diplomats saying they're staying there, or foreign uh, visitors saying they're staying there in order to gain favor uh, with uh, the Trump administration to specifically even go back to that Muslim ban. I mean, they didn't go into Turkey uh, and Egypt and Saudi Arabia and United uh, Arab Emirates where uh, he indeed has um, business interest. And, you know, not to say that that was the exact reason they're not on there, but clearly on a map, those are the countries that weren't on there. And if you look at 9-11, I mean, none of the people who perpetrated 9-11 came from the seven countries in the travel ban, and uh, nor the Boston uh, bombing, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I think that there are enough different cases coming up that we're watching that we're just concerned that if this becomes a more and more of a pattern, which there's no reason to believe it's not going to, how do you push that? And normally you'd have congressional um, uh, resolutions of disapproval and other uh, factors as well that we can do. But I don't know if the Republicans will will step up to that. So let's then work with the public uh, as we move forward on this, because right now the best ally we have uh, are the American people. They're active like never before. Uh, last week we averaged 157 calls a day from constituents on issues, uh, which was about whoa, every 30 whoa. seconds. Right. Uh, someone calling up and it was... Um, you know, largely on the travel ban, but, you know, the number two and a strong number two, Steve Bannon. Uh, wow. People are very concerned about Steve Bannon. Uh, and then after that, they dropped almost in half on the, on the other issues that they called us about. So, you know, people are very engaged. And uh, having come from Wisconsin, where we had the uprising, where we had 40,000 people a day at the Capitol, 100,000 a day on the weekend, one of the, the things that didn't work for us was that uh, by law, by statute, it took a while to get the recall put in place that you kind of lost interest if we didn't have something for people to do. Mm. And yeah. right now, the difference is that was about one issue. This is about <laughs> many issues, but one person. Uh, we just have to make sure that we're actually listening to the public as elected officials. And clearly, this is something the public wants us to keep available if necessary. So calls make a difference. Calls absolutely make a difference. Uh, we watched... Um, the first day of Congress, they were going to gut ethics laws for members of Congress, and they didn't put the rule out because so many people called. Senator Mikowski, clearly from Alaska, got the calls when, on Betsy DeVos, one of the reasons why she's not voting for Betsy DeVos. She said that. Yeah, she said that. Uh, Jason Chaffetz <coughs> was going to introduce a bill to sell off two million plus acres of public land, didn't introduce it after the public outcry. We're having success after success after success, not just delays, but real successes right. because of people calling. So we need to keep that energy going, but also the thing I tell everyone is whatever one or two or three issues that they care about most, that they think they're, they're in jeopardy, double down on the groups locally and nationally that are working on those issues. You know, volunteer, support, do anything you can uh, to help them. And if they happen to have a legal arm, all the better, right? Because legal challenges are one of the ways that we can continue to slow down anything they may try to implement. So there's a lot of positive outlets for people to do. It is telling that, you know, Trump and the Republicans who have sort of unlimited power, and he's certainly taking the executive power as far as he can and further than any other president has. It is telling that the courts are still going to be where these 
ideas or policies are going to be decided. Absolutely. Because he's going against the Constitution so yeah, often, right? right. And, and so that one, you know, you can get a lot of a broad spectrum of judges to react right. on that. And, you know, look at the ACLU. I mean, I think, you know, just as a group, and I hate to single out any group because there are many groups doing a lot of really great work right now. But, you know, we're going to be relying on groups like that more than ever uh, in this new era to help defend our constitutional rights. <laughs> The Parting Shot with Bill Press. This is The Bill Press Show. You know, it wasn't too long ago the politicians used to talk about two Americas. We live in two Americas, they say. One for the very wealthy, the top 1%, and the other for all the rest of us, the 99%. Well, today we don't live in two different Americas. We live in two different worlds, totally different worlds. There's the real world that we all live in, and then there's the make-believe world of Donald Trump. He says 5 million people who are here illegally voted for Hillary Clinton. Not true. He says he's inspired the biggest political movement in the history of humankind. Not true. He says now that there are terrorist attacks that the media has not even reported on. Not true. Yes, he's talking about, he says, terrorist attacks here in the United States that we don't know anything about because members of the media got together and made a collective decision not to tell the American people about them. You know what? That's not only true. If he really believes that, he is a dangerous, paranoid, deranged human being. If he really believes that, you have to wonder, seriously, if maybe he's not mentally ill. And if that's so, you have to wonder how the hell he got where he is and how do we get rid of him? This is something we've never experienced before in a president. You know, it's one thing to deal with a president whose policies you disagree with. It's another thing to deal with a president who just makes shit up. Can anybody spell impeachment? This is The Bill Press Show.